Day 267. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So we are still in the thick of the book of Acts. The book of Acts talks about the early church and the massive explosive growth of the early church. And we are in uh, Pauline narratives. Um, and missionary journeys, right? And so Paul, remember last time he was in Philippi. He was in this Roman colony called Philippi. Uh, with the, he had the Philippian jailer. He that he was like, "Yo, what must I do to be saved?" Paul told him, "Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ." Um, he gets Paul gets thrown in prison and beaten, all that kind of stuff. And he demands an official apology, right? This is police brutality in the first century. So, um, the the scriptures and the Christians, early Christians, understand the plight of African American people. We've talked about that some. So many good things here. Um. But Acts 17, we come to one of the most famous chapters in the book of Acts, at least to me, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. I say that all the time. I know. However, Paul travels 90 miles west, fam, 90 miles west to an area known as Thessalonica, right? And this is where we get our books of First and Second Thessalonians from. And Paul is doing what he does best, right? He's reasoning from the scriptures in the synagogues on the Sabbath, right? And in typical fashion, according to the book of Acts, at least, uh, the Jews get jealous, right? And then they start riots in the city and they, they were looking uh to persecute paul and these things like that because he, they were losing both power and influence right this is why they were so mad they were losing both power and influence and listen when large people groups that are antagonistic to the gospel begin to lose power and influence we know rage right around the corner right and so um it's interesting because this text says something uh very key about the early christians it says these men who have turned the world upside down have come here to the irony is that they make this statement that Thessalonians make this statement and this actually proved to be true it's not actually only true in this time but it actually proved to be true right you have 12 average Joes right proclaiming that a man got up from the grave as the promised savior of the world and not only did it spread throughout the Roman Empire overnight as we've said it has literally changed the world this movement has changed the course of history forever and it's so funny because even to this day man uh, the modern West has been shaped by the influence of Christianity, how we think about things such as uh, human rights, how we think about things such as equality, how we things think about things such as uh, uh, ethnic reconciliation and unity, how we think about things such as a care for the poor and the vulnerable, how we think about things as uh, uh, such as um, the care for uh, children and infants and things like that, all came from this man named Jesus, right? And his teachings that his apostles have handed down throughout the centuries. And it's just a such a beautiful truth because uh, again, the kingdom of God has come, right? And it and it didn't just come. Of course, it came through the the life, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it also came to through the teachings of Jesus, right? This uh, revolutionary, heavenly, otherworld ethics that He has passed down. And so, literally, like, no, no, they literally have turned the world upside down. In this text, though, the troubling this is uh, troubling both Jews and Greeks, right? And that the, the the thing that is troubling them is that they are declaring that Jesus is King, right? It says, um, the verse says this, the text says this, they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and the city officials who heard these things were up said, listen, part of the gospel that was so major for the early church and needs to be emphasized in this age as a staple in this age is that Jesus is King. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the risen and crucified Lord from the line of David, right? He's the one whom all of our allegiance ought to, ought to be to. In fact, uh, some have argued, some scholars have argued that, um, uh, the word faith in the New Testament in certain contexts can be translated as allegiance, right? Because it's about a fidelity to our ruler and our king. 
He's the sovereign ruler of the universe. He's inviting us into his kingdom. The text moves on. The brothers get sent away to Berea. The Bereans, you know, you know about them. They searching the scriptures every day, every day to make sure the things that they were saying were so right. Um, and then my man Paul goes to Athens, and I love it because in Athens, Paul is different, right? He hits the synagogues for sure, but he also mixes it up with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers of the day, right? And and again, these are the intellectual elites of the first century, right? And he is getting it in and presenting the gospel to them, right? The Epicureans, on one hand, uh, believed, were, were philosophers that believed that the world, it started from this man named Epicurus, and, and, it, and they believed that the world was purely material and that deities or gods were not involved in the world, right? That they weren't relevant to it and that afterlife didn't matter. So the ultimate goal, right? What you would what you would assume, right? The ultimate goal for them was pleasure, right? And the lack of physical pain and emotional disturbance. Stoics believed that the logos, right? The word, the reason, the, 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 the rational principle of the universe controlled the universe, but they didn't ascribe that to Jesus. <laughs> right? Fate controlled de destiny and that all you focused on was what you can control, namely your attitude. And I think the thing that's interesting about this um, is that uh, Christianity is not just a religion. But it actually is also a very much a sophisticated philosophy um, in, in a way of living and being in the world. Right. It, it is very much a very sophisticated philosophy that uh, triumphs. Right. Like in that uh, uh, blows out the water. Right. The philosophies, Platonism and, and, and Stoicism and Epicureanism and any other ism you want to name. Christianity has the resources to answer the deepest questions about life humanity and our destiny and who God is and what he has done. And um yeah, we, we would we would do well to remember that um that the, the resources that Christianity Christianity provides can uh stand in the marketplace of ideas. And so I'm grateful for so many uh Christian intellectuals out there uh who who do such great work in that marketplace and show the the beautiful and rich resources that Christianity has had, ancient and modern, uh to speak to the issues of the present time. Paul goes further. He goes to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, right? And he's continuing to uh, uh, proclaim the gospel to the Greeks, right? And and here he 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 again tailors his gospel to his audience, as we've talked about before, right? I think what what makes Paul so effective is that he understands the idols of a place, right? Listen, I think for us we need to remember that it's hard to witness to people you don't know anything about. Right. If we want to witness to the people in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our states, in our countries, we have to know the idols of the states, cities, countries and areas which in which we live and use the gospel to cut across right, those very things and show how Jesus offers a better way. Chapter 18 comes. Paul goes to Corinth, meets Priscilla and Aquila. He kicks it there some and eventually starts working with them as a tent maker, right? Still sticking to the ministry of the gospel. Side note, you can work a regular job and still be engaged in ministry. Ministry does not have to be your vocation in order for you to be in ministry. Nonetheless, we still see the hard heartedness of the Jews. And Paul was like, no, 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 I'm going to the Gentiles now. He said it before. No, no, the Jews are hard hearted. So therefore I'm going to the Gentiles. And we know from first and second Corinthians that the folks in Corinth were wild. So Paul was, was catching up. A lot of flack in Corinth, right? And was going through a ton of hardship here in opposition. And I love what Jesus comes to him and says, He says, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this 
city. I think the thing we learn from this text is that just because, hear this, just because we face opposition, opposition in ministry in a particular place doesn't mean that God is calling you to a different place, right? Paul is like, receiving opposition in Corinth. And Christ is like, no, 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 stay, stay. And a lot of us, listen, a lot of us get frustrated quickly when things ain't shaking and baking like we want. But God promises, I got folks in this city, city that will come to faith. Right. And again, we see that, no, no, the way we move in life is totally and should be totally predicated on if we believe the promises or God or not. Right. It should be predicated on the promises of God. So Paul stays another year and a half, 18 months with these cats, faithfully preaching the word of God to them. And about two thirds of the way through chapter 18, Paul heads to uh, Ephesus. So this is uh, Paul's another one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys. Many say this is the final missionary journey, the third missionary journey of Paul. And he heads to Ephesus in 19. So in 19, we have the Holy Spirit coming down on John's disciples and uh, that were baptized in Ephesus. And Paul, while in Ephesus, is doing this thing, preaching the good news of the kingdom, doing miracles in the name of the Lord Jesus, all this good stuff. And so uh, at the same time, though, we have false prophets, right, who are doing uh, 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 miracles also in the name of Jesus. And remember, we've talked about before how what the Lord does, sometimes Satan counterfeits. Remember the plagues of Egypt, right? Moses would do a plague and the Egyptians would do a plague, right? And so, again, God's people need discernment. Right. And there are many texts uh, that, that point to this reality, uh, biblical and extra biblical. But I think um, we need to remember that we need discernment. Why? Because everyone that waves the banner of the name of Jesus is not always aligned with the person of Jesus. Right. And we see that it doesn't work ultimately. Right. Um, and so the cat that had the evil spirit in chapter 19 actually turns up and thus Christ's name uh, here is exalted. And so there's a word here for someone. Listen, those who abuse the name of Christ will be humiliated right we've said that before those who uh abuse the name of christ will be humiliated and humble um, but those who uh, uh uh stick to the true name of the lord will be lifted uh, verse 18 says this and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone so they calculated their value and found it to be fifty thousand pieces of silver <sighs> it's so good because man in this time you had people who were led to repentance, right? And the Greco-Roman world put a lot of money into magical incantations and spells, and they usually stored them up in books that sold for large amounts of bread. So this was big business, <laughs> right? And here they're actually burning the books. And so we see once again, how the gospel intersects with our pockets, right? Once again, we said it all throughout Luke and Acts. He's very serious about this. And you see it here, uh, the way that the Lord can turn sorcerers into servants. Acts chapter 20, uh, we get the apostles here going back and forth, strengthening the other churches, and they do this in preparation for a trip to Jerusalem. And so Paul is in a, a place called Troas, and he actually revives a young man named uh, Eutychus uh, from the dead. Interesting story placed here that in the middle of all this stuff that's going on, uh, it takes place on a Sunday as they were breaking bread. And I think many scholars have said this probably is to remind us that of the Christ event, right, uh, where Christ dies and resurrects and he breaks bread with his disciples um, and that that resurrection power that was uh, in the personal work of Christ is in the disciples and among the believers as well. Furthermore, we get the final speech of this section to the Ephesian elders, and Paul holds out his own ministry as an example to these other pastors and elders. And he tells them of his future plans and ministry, and even he even warns them, right, of the coming heresies, right? No, no, like false teaching, heresy is gonna come, right? Um, and this is the first time in the book of Acts where we get a sermon or speech given to Christians. 
And just by looking at the tone and tenor of the passage in Acts chapter 20, we are reminded of the way it resembles his letter. And Paul is like, yo, fam, I'm on the way to Jerusalem. And I know that chains and afflictions right away from me. Uh, but there is one. But, but, but he gives one of the best uh, verses uh, that I think that sums up uh, Paul's ministry. He says, uh, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Listen, everything Paul did flowed out of that statement. And I think that um, the best way for us to live is for everything we do to flow out of a statement such as this. I consider my life of no value to myself. Having a purpose to finish the course in the ministry the Lord Jesus has given us and to testify to his grace. The gospel uh, makes us people who, who realize that our life is not our own. Our life is not about us. Our life is his and it's about him. Let's pray. God, we ask for your grace today uh, to live with such a vision where our uh, life is of no value to ourselves. God, make it our purpose to finish our course in the ministry you've given each and every one of us, God, and that we would testify to the gospel.